The swarm. The swarm are coming. So I do my own stunts, just for the record, all right? Uh, <clears throat> welcome to the Compass Church. Happy Father's Day to all the dads who are here. And welcome to our new series called The Swarm. It's a, it's a series about a locust plague. That made you hungry, didn't it? He's seen those locusts get eaten. The book of Joel found in the Old Testament, is all about a locust plague. It's about hardship, it's about suffering, and it's about the upside of down. How sometimes hard times have an unexpected silver lining and a real benefit to them. And so we're going to learn about that. And I want to start by uh, telling you, well, let's talk about fire pits, shall we? The two years ago, this was a Father's Day present for me, this fire pit. It's a monster. The thing weighs about 80 pounds. I was going to uh, build a real fire in here. Wouldn't that have been fun? But the people who have authority didn't think that was a good idea, so I have a very cheesy uh, fake fire. Isn't that kind of fun? There we go. Anyways, uh, I, I love fire. I, I think I inherited that from my father. My dad was a uh, pyromaniac and passed that on to me. And I remember growing up, sitting around a fire. And you know, when we sat around a fire, you know what we did? We told stories. And we, we were, the Griffins, a storytelling family. And some of those stories that my dad told me around the fire are still with me today. You know, to prove it, kind of to demonstrate, I'll tell you one. This is a story my dad told me 30 years ago, and I still remember it in vivid, vivid detail. It's kind of the power of story. So here's how it goes. My dad was at Wheaton College. He was a junior. And at, when he was a junior at Wheaton College, a fellow junior came up to him and said, Gary, we need you. Your class, your fellow juniors, they need you. We lost the bench and we need you to steal it back. Now, you don't know what I'm talking about, but I'll explain. Wheaton College has this strange tradition where they've got this massive concrete slab called the bench. And the juniors try to steal it from the seniors, and then the seniors try to steal it back, and throughout the year it tends to change hands quite often. Well, in this particular moment, the, the, the junior was asking for my father's help explain. He said, Gary, here's what happened. We, uh, we lost the bench. We had it, 
and we were going to, we showed it to the seniors to taunt them. The seniors were all on a train. They had a senior trip going out to Colorado to enjoy time at a camp. And all the seniors were on this train. And at a small town in central Illinois, the juniors pulled up in a pickup truck at the train stop and showed the bench and kind of did a nan-nan, we got it, you know. And the guy explained that the seniors had heard of their plan, were ready for them, flowed off of the train, surrounded the pickup, stole the bench, put the bench on the train, and took it with them to Colorado. (laughs) And the guy said, Gary, this is where you come in. We did a little research, and we discovered that you're from Colorado. In fact, you're from a little town that's right near the camp where all the seniors are. And so you know those back roads through the mountains better than anybody. Gary, we need you to go and get the bench back. My crazy dad said, I'm in. He recruited a friend of his, and the two of them flew out to Colorado, borrowed my grandfather's pickup truck, drove near this camp, stashed the pickup in the woods, and then hiked on foot into the camp under the cover of woods, crawled through some bushes near the lodge where these seniors were meeting, hoping to overhear conversations and discover where exactly the bench was. Well, they failed. They were discovered by some seniors who screamed, Juniors! You know, and the next thing you know, my dad and his buddy pop out of the bushes and take off running into the woods, scared for their lives. And my dad, out of pure terror, outran his buddy who got caught And my dad looked over his shoulder, felt so bad as these seniors tackled him to the ground. My father imagined the untold tortures and permanent maiming that would come to this poor friend, but he kept running. (laughs) He ran and he outran the seniors deep into the woods. And my father, under the setting sun, decided it best to spend the night in the woods. He found a half-fallen tree and slept all night underneath that tree. And in the morning, went back to where they had stashed the pickup truck, and it was gone. He didn't know what to do, so he walked further through the woods till he came to a little road where he hitchhiked, and eventually hitchhiked all the way back to his parents' house. And to his surprise, when he came to the house, there was the pickup truck in the driveway. When he came into the house, there was his friend. They hadn't done anything to him. He had slept the night in my dad's soft bed. (laughs) He was sitting at the kitchen table with my grandma having breakfast and smiling at my father. Well, when they went back to Wheaton College, my dad found out he was quite famous because at chapel the previous day, the chaplain had announced, we need to pray as a campus regarding a certain missing person. Gary Griffin, a junior of this school, is lost in the mountains of Colorado, spent the whole night. We don't know where he is or if he's okay. And my my poor mom, she was his girlfriend at the time, and she thought he was dead, you know, and so they they prayed. Well, uh, my dad, though he failed at getting the bench, he became the hero of the junior class for his heroic effort. Stories are powerful. 
I know that because you were all listening. You know, as I turn now to continue in your message, my message, this is where you start falling asleep usually in contrast to the, to the rapt attention that you give me with story. And stories are one of those great blessings that come from our chip. And we're about to learn that from the prophet Joel. So without further ado, let's turn... Uh, you know, when I say turn to the book of Joel, if you were to grab the Bible in the chair back and start looking for it, it'd take you the whole sermon to find it. And so let me tell you the page number. It's a little book in the, what's called the Minor Prophets, page 909. And it begins this way, Joel 1.1. The word of the Lord came, I'm sorry, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? As we're about to see, it's referring to this locust plague. And apparently, though plagues were very common in ancient Israel and still are today in modern Israel, they, uh, this was like the plague of all plagues. This was the swarm of all swarms. The, 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 the comment here is that not in our lifetime or the lifetime of our ancestors have we ever seen one so big and vicious as this. Verse 3, tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. The locust swarm ate all the crops. And all these references to great locusts and young locusts and other locusts, honestly, the translators struggle to know exactly what Joel's referring to, but it seems to be waves of the swarm, successive waves. And the The locusts were a little different, but they were equal in their commitment to devour everything. You know, we don't know much about locusts. Do you know that there used to be, let's put a locust up here. Uh, Locusts used to be in the United States, but in 1902 was the last locust swarm in the United States, and they have been extinct ever since, but they still live throughout the world, and they're nasty. Let me give you some stats. The, the worst locust swarm in modern history happened in 1958 in northern Africa. And it's really interesting how locust swarms occur. They're, they're normally isolated grasshoppers. That's how they normally live. But when the circumstances, environmental circumstances, are just right, they, they join up. They become a mob. Something triggers in their brain. The circumstances are great drought followed by intense rains that yield rapid vegetation growth. And in the case of 1958, those circumstances occurred, and check this out, 40 billion locusts came together forming this cloud, this monster that swept across Ethiopia and Somalia like a lawnmower and destroyed all the crops. Can you imagine that? 
You know, we, we, we aren't farmers either, so we don't relate to the level of travesty that this is. But in an agricultural society that is dependent upon food for life, for these, this monster to come in and just rob them of everything leaves the people in a panic, a state of potential starvation. And so this trial that happened in the days of Joel was awful. The people said this is the worst plague of locusts ever. And then go back to verse 3. Check this out. Tell it to your children. Isn't that kind of unexpected? But what Joel is saying, this is going to be an incredible story. This story of the immense locust swarm and God's coming rescue is going to be a story that you've got to tell. You've got to tell it to your children. Tell it well so that they remember it. And so they'll tell it to your grandchildren. Tell it well so that it goes even to a fourth generation, to your great-grandchildren. But this is God's plan. I would say it this way. This is God's command that we be storytellers, that we tell stories of those trials we faced and situations we found ourselves in where we were beyond our ability to deal with it and God came to the rescue. Do you know that God loves stories and wants his people to be storytellers where stories of God and their adventures with him go from generation to generation? Uh, I'll give you an example of this happening in our church. I was talking with a guy from our Wheaton campus, and he said, when my wife and I turned 75, we started lamenting that we weren't going to be around to influence our grandchildren forever. And so they said, what can we do? And they came up with this idea. They put together a document that's called Our Top Ten Stories. Isn't that awesome? They looked at their lives, and they said, Lord, what are the stories that things we've gone through that you used the most to make us who we are, that changed us spiritually, changed our character. And they came up with their top 10 stories. They typed them up. They presented them to their grandchildren and said, we want you to remember who we are and what God has done in our lives with hopes that it will impact them. Isn't that cool? God not only commands us to uh, tell stories to our next generations. God does it himself. God's a storyteller. God loves using story. You know, I know that. Look at the Bible. You know, the Old Testament of the Bible is almost all narrative. Narrative is a fancy word. Simply means story. If you turn to the Old Testament, you discover that God's vehicle of communication that he prefers is story. He could have you know, approached his book in a very different way and had lists, but rather he has stories. He has the story of the people of Israel and how he led them, made them, helped them, saved them. And through story, God is very effective at teaching about his reality, about his nature, his love, about his faithfulness, about what life with him is like, story teaches well. And so God says, I use story. What about the New Testament? When we look to Jesus, what was Jesus's primary vehicle for teaching? We call them the parables. They're all stories. 
God says, trust me, stories work brilliantly. And I suppose the fair question is, why, why is God so enthused about stories and wanting us to use stories? I'll give you a couple of reasons. I think I've alluded to them already. First of all, stories are engaging. You know, if, if you tell your kids, hey, kids, I want to teach you a few things. You know, they're like, whatever. But you tell them a story and they'll listen. I, trust me, you are proof of that. Uh, when, when, I, when I start waxing eloquent about topics, you all just kind of go to sleep. And yet when I say, uh-oh, better come up with a story quick, and I start saying, you know, there was one day a few weeks ago, and boom, you're with me again. Uh, stories are engaging. Stories are memorable. It's amazing. I'll have folks in the church come up to me and say, Jeff, I remember two years ago when you told that story. And I'll say, oh, yeah, what were my three points? Yeah. I don't know what the sermon was about, but I remember, I remember that story. And hopefully the truth connected to it. Stories are powerful. God knows it. He made us that way. And so he calls us to use them to teach the next generation. So it, it begs the question, are you doing that? Let me test you. If you have children, dads, Do your kids know how you became a Christian? Have you told them that story? Uh, Couples, do your kids know how God brought you two together romantically? Do they know how you met? And do they know about the ups and downs of your courtship and how you eventually knew it was time to be married? Have you told them about your work life? You know, we, we, we learned a few series back that work is sacred. Thank God it's Monday. We learned that we're called by God to our careers. Do your kids know how you ended up in the career path that you're in? Have you told them that story? Have you told them the stories of the great hardships of your life, the sickness and the debts and the bankruptcy or whatever trial there may be? Folks, Have you told your kids the stories? Maybe you need to do what my friend Jim did and write them down. Spend some time thinking about it and pass those on because stories speak beautifully of God and his grace as it's integrated in a real life, namely yours. And so we need to be storytellers for the sake of our kids. Now, when I say... uh, did you have a problem? Let me encourage you. Look, when you're looking for a good story to tell, look for, to your worst moments. <laughs> um, in case you don't know, the upside of down, the, the good thing about problems is that problems are what make a good story. Uh, look at this particular uh, passage. What happens? A problem in the form of a locust swarm comes along. And what does God say? Oh, this is going to be a great story. Tell this one to your kids. Uh, if you've studied movie making at all, you know that what you need for a good movie is a conflict and a resolution, is a crisis and a solving the day. That, that's essential. If, if there's no problem, it's not going to be a good movie. Isn't that true? I mean, movies have, what, a Darth Vader who's got a Death Star and he's going to use it to destroy the universe. And, uh, you know, when Indiana Jones is looking for the Ark of the Covenant, he's up against the Nazis who are trying to find it first so they can use its power to conquer the world. Or when uh, 
Leonardo is falling in love with the rich girl. He's doing so on a sinking ship called the Titanic. And it's because of the problem that we're caught up in the drama. Or finding Nemo, when the little fish named Nemo uh, is lost, separated from his father. Do you remember? He's kidnapped by an evil... What was that guy again? Uh, Dentist. That's right. He was a dentist. (laughs) I'll tell you they're evil. Anyways... Uh, folks, to be a good story, you've got to have a problem, all right? Now, if you'll allow me, I'd like to make a few other applications from what we're learning. We're learning that God's all about story. We're learning that God wants us to tell the story of his grace in our lives. And we're learning that story, a good story, has got a real problem, like locusts, in it. So, Let me make a second application. Embrace hardship. That's my second application. First one is tell your story to your kids. Second point, embrace hardship. Here's what I mean. We don't like hardship. We don't like problems. We want our life to be smooth sailing. If your life were absolutely problem-free, that would make a very boring movie. It would make a bad story. And so I'm not saying that we should want problems. I'm not saying we should say problems are a good thing. But I am saying when God in his sovereignty allows one to come your way, embrace it and know it's going to make a great story. You know when when a problem comes your way, you say, I don't know how God's going to step in and save the day, but I know my God. And he's going to step in. Maybe he'll take the problem away. Or maybe he'll help me to endure it. But God will show up, and this will be a great story. That's one of the things that I find fascinating about this Joel 1-3 occurrence. At first I struggled with this, but now I've come to really appreciate it. I'm like, Lord, at the moment you're telling them to tell this story, at this moment, the plague is at its worst. There's no rescue yet. There's no deliverance. At the end of the book, there's a a prediction that God's going to come to the rescue, but you're asking them to celebrate this as a good story worthy of being passed on before you show up to save the day. Exactly. And that's how we should be. When problems roll into our lives, even before there's any sign of God's intervention or rescue, you know what we should say? This is going to be a great story. This is going to be a story I'm going to want to pass on to my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. Do you have that perspective? Uh, There's a precious woman in our church who does, uh, she's been emailing me back and forth this week saying, Jeff, I'm, I'm looking forward to this series on Joel and about hardship because I'm going through it. She said, I just discovered that I've got stage four gallbladder cancer. She said, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but it's going to be a great story. She said, already people want to hear my story. Already people who had no interest in my life before are all ears. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. And she's praying that God will use whatever comes to bring him glory through his grace and her story. And I'm like, wow, is that your perspective? 
rather than freaking out and saying, no, this can't be happening. God, why, why, why? Might we say, Lord, I trust you. (laughs) And I know this is going to make quite a story to tell. What's just begun in my life potentially is going to be the stuff that my grandkids hear about. How I stood up in your strength and how I found in you the power to go on. Folks, one thing we can do with this truth is say, Lord, I know that to be a good story, to be a story that changes me, and to be a story that captures the attention of watching eyes, it's got to be a story with hardship. And so I'm choosing to embrace this hardship and anticipate your rescue. Let's see what happens here. So, number one, tell it to your kids. Number two, Embrace hardship. Can I provide a third application? And that is take risks. If you say, you know what, I have no good stories in my life. My life is just boring. If that's true, I predict you are not following Jesus enough. Because when you follow Jesus, when you say, Lord, my life is yours, lead me, do with me whatever you want, he will lead you out of your comfort zone. He will lead you into self-inflicted challenges. And those challenges will be great stories. When you're following Jesus, he leads you to do crazy things like adopt or foster children or serve a neighbor down the street. Or start serving with the kids in Compass Kids or Awana. And you want stories, go do that. You'll have stories. Or start a ministry. Or reach out to neighbors who don't know Jesus and and love them and invite them into your house. When you courageously step out of your comfort zone following the promptings of God, that's where your story gets exciting. And if you say, I just don't have any good stories to tell it may be you're playing it safe and you're not risking enough following him as he prompts you into missions of divine command. So, folks, uh, what, what did we learn? We learned here that this story business is really, really big to God. He's writing a great story and he wants our lives to be a great story. A great story because we're following him. A great story because we're embracing hardship. And great stories that can be passed on generation to generation to our kids. You know, I want to tell you what happened a few weeks ago. I was uh, asked by my daughter to build a fire. Uh, She had, I think, about six friends. She's 17 years old, so they're all teenagers over to our house. And she says, Dad, would you build a fire in the backyard? And so I did. I built a fire. And I uh, then was ready to go to bed, quite honestly. And my wife said, I don't feel good about those teenagers being unsupervised. Why don't you go poke your head out there and see how they're doing? And I'm like, all right. So I came out, hey, everybody, how you doing? And, and Joris says, Dad, uh, she says, would you tell my friends about when you and mom were young and when you were dating and she'd tell them about when she dumped you? (laughs) 
I, I said, Joy, they, they don't want to hear about me getting dumped. And they're like, oh, we do, we do. Well, I'm like, oh, great. I'm like, all right. So I went over and I, I grabbed a chair. And uh, me and the teenager sat around the fire. And I said, all right, you, you want to hear about the time mom dumped me? All right. I said, uh, which time? <laughs> they said, tell us all of them. And I'm like, all right, no, here we go. And so I, I told them, I told them about the pain that I experienced, about, I got graphic. I said, I cried so hot there, hard there was snot. You know, snot tears in the girls are like, oh, yeah. And I thought my life was over. I was gasping for air, didn't think I could go on. But God met me in those darkest days. I said, I told him, I go, it was in those days that I fell in love with God and found how I could press on in his strength. They were the worst of days, and yet, in a strange way, they were the best of days. And then one of the girls said, but there's a happy ending here. Eventually, she married you. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Tell us about that. Tell us about that. And I'm like, really? All right. And so I, I got into, and I told them about the romance. I got into it and brought in... Uh, all the, the passion of romance, and they leaned in with rapt attention. I told them how I never thought my wife could be the type who would walk down the aisle at her wedding without second-guessing her decision. Jen just struggled to commit. But I said, when God spoke to her, when she knew what God wanted, she looked my direction, she committed and never has looked back. And I said, I have got the best wife, and my marriage is just awesome. And I, I went on and on. 45 minutes I sat out there with the teenagers uh, telling them stories. And eventually I said, all right, that's enough. You, you guys have fun. I'm, I'm going to bed. And I left. And as I was walking inside, I, I just thought to myself, you know, I'm really glad I had that opportunity. I'm also glad I had the guts to do it. I'm a little intimidated by young people. Maybe you feel that way as well. I think I may have made an impact on those young, impressionable lives. Who knows? Maybe some of those stories are going to haunt them in a beautiful way. And when they go through their own heartache, they may remember and turn to you as I did. And I remember going to bed going, wow, that, that little fireside storytelling session may have had more impact than I have when I'm preaching up on the stage. Who knows? Folks, God is a storyteller. He's a story writer. He's been telling stories and writing a grand story since the beginning of time. You're an important part of his story. And if you follow him, your story will be great. It may be simple, but it'll be beautiful, and it'll be worthy to be told. And I pray that you find opportunities to pass it on to the young people, to your nephews and nieces, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Stories of God have been being told for centuries, for millennia. May they continue with us, and may God receive the glory And may lives fall in love with him as the result of the stories told by people of the Compass Church. Shall we pray? 
God, we just want to thank you for this passage of scripture, for the way that you spoke to the people suffering in that locust plague. God, you said, people, this is a good story. You need to tell this to your kids. God, let us have that perspective. Let us be courageous men and women. Lord, please, the the timid of us need your spirit to help us. But make us bold. Make us bold in embracing our story when it gets hard. Make us bold in following you courageously as you prompt us to risk. And make us bold when we see an opportunity to tell of what you've done and are doing in our lives. God, may the stories roll through us and may they advance your cause. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.